Well, today we are starting in our series that we planned in the earlier part of the spring in the book of 1 John. And uh, we trust that God just kind of supernaturally intends uh, the things and the scriptures that we go to and trust that he'll be speaking to us uh, even, even in our time together today. I want to encourage you, the book of 1 John is fairly short. I want to ask you, would you be willing to just read the book of 1 John once a week through the summer months as we're going on this series? I think that'll do a couple of things for you as we're talking about the various texts throughout uh, the coming weeks. Uh, it'll help bring things to mind. You'll be kind of pre-prepared to listen to the messages, but then as you keep rereading the whole book throughout the summer, it'll probably take you, I can't imagine, more than 10 or 15 minutes to read through uh, the handful of chapters in, in 1 John, but it'll keep reminding you and it'll saturate you. And imagine uh, by the end of kind of the summer, you'll have like, wow, you'll have, you'll start memorizing even different portions of 1 John that I think can be anchors for us when things hit in our lives. It's sort of our mind and our heart just get drawn back because we've been saturated in it. So I want to encourage you over these weeks, just start reading the book of 1 John uh, once a week uh, in between our times of teaching on Sundays. If one of your family members was uh, in some kind of tragedy, uh, what would you want to do? Uh, we known even through some of the tragedies that we've experienced in our country, uh, kind of like, uh, like a 9-11 sort of situation or some kind of natural disaster. What does everybody do? If you have people living in that part of the country where some disaster has happened, what do you want to do? You run to the phone, don't you? You run to the phone and you want to call them because you want to know, are, are they okay? Right? You want to, are they okay? Do they need anything? What's going on there? Well, in John's day, uh, they couldn't pick up the phone. So what would they do? If there was something that was going on uh, in one of the churches or in a segment of the churches, what would they do? They would write a letter. And that's what John does. There were some significant things going on uh, in the churches in Asia Minor. And John wanted to, in a sense, pick up the phone and say, you know, he wanted to talk to them. He wanted to have words with them. He wanted to share some things with them that would be pertinent to the things that were going on. And that's what 1 John is. Uh, John uh, wrote five books of the New Testament. Uh, the gospel came first. Most scholars believe the gospel came first. Uh, and then the letters came and then Revelation. So uh, as, as John... Uh, is writing. He's writing to the churches in Asia Minor, uh, which would be uh, the western part of Turkey near Ephesus. Uh, so all of the letters actually that are written in the book of Revelation uh, in those first couple of chapters, that would be the region and the area that he's addressing first, uh, the book of First John to. So uh, it's, uh, uh, that's where he's writing. Uh, John writes, if you've ever read the book of 1 John, kind of in a uh, conversational style. You know, in a conversation, you might start on a topic, right? And then you will talk about something related to that topic, but it's, it's one step removed, right? But it's still connected because that's a bit how our minds work. We, we talk on something and then it triggers some other thought that's connected to that. And then it's triggered, in, but then you, you circle back around. And so as we go through the book of 1 John, you're going to notice he 
keeps revisiting some of the same themes, some of the same conversations. He'll say it in a little bit different way. But he's doing that for a purpose because it's strategically targeted at some of the things that are going on to the, uh, in the churches that he uh, is writing. The big tragedy, the big struggle that was going on to those who are receiving First John uh, was that there was a group of people with a certain kind of belief living a certain kind of practice. And as we'll find out in some of the later chapters, they left the church. There was a group that had left uh, the church. And it was an elite kind of group of people who were kind of the smart ones. And uh, as they believed that you had to have some sort of super knowledge uh, and some spiritual experiences... <laughs> And so part of what John is writing to is that situation. So imagine some of the people that were a part of your assembly. They were really a part of it. It's not like some fringe people. And then a, 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 a huge group, a group of those people left. Wouldn't that shake you a bit? And especially if you thought those were spiritual people, then it would start to really shake you, wouldn't it? It would start to shake even the foundations of what you, you thought you knew and you understood, and you're like, I, th like, I know this is the truth, but now when you see a group kind of separate off, you say, is, is it really? And so John writes uh, the book of 1 John to, to reassure and to reestablish and to re-anchor those believers who are wrestling with, okay, now there's a group that is left, uh, one of the realities that we'll find that John meshes and brings together both uh, deep and good theology with practical life. And he, he's bringing those two things together so that all of the theology that is in the book of 1 John is strategically designed to speak to the issues that are going on uh, in the book of 1 John. And so even in the beginning chapters, uh, or in the beginning verses, uh, and we'll start there in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And John is really trying to set up, and he's trying to protect the group. He doesn't want the church to splinter off uh, because of those who had left. And so he begins uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship. There's a key word for us. That, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, there's the word again, is with the Father and with the Son and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. There's a key word there. It's, it's fellowship. And John is wanting to keep this community together. Uh, in, it says, that which was from the beginning. What is John referencing? In the book of the Gospel of John, we know that John says, in the beginning was what? The Word. In the beginning was the Word. So in the Gospel of John, he's going all the way back to like the pre-existence of Jesus. Well, because uh, part of the issue with those who left was this 
uh, belief that the spirit realm and the realm of matter, the realm of earth, they didn't connect at all. And so, in a sense, what you did in your life didn't make any difference to your spiritual life. It'd be pretty dangerous, wouldn't it? So there was no connecting. There was a separation, and that was part of what they believed, but it influenced uh, how they lived. And so what would people think of the incarnation of Christ if, if that which was spiritual and that which was matter, they didn't connect? You'd have, a, you'd have some serious trouble with the incarnation, wouldn't you? You'd have trouble understanding that Jesus was the God-man. And a, a significant part of that. So in John, he connects all the way back to the preexistence of Christ. Here he says, that which was from the beginning. And he emphasizes all the things about the reality of Jesus's humanity. Because those people who left thought, oh, it's only the spiritual things that matter. And John's saying, wait a minute. No, it's anchored in reality. It's anchored in life. And so he says, the things that we've heard the things that we've seen, we've beheld him, our hands have touched, and this is what we proclaim. So he's going back to the beginning of the time that Jesus walked here on earth, the beginning of the time where the gospel uh, was starting to be proclaimed, and Jesus did his ministry, and that's what he's going back to, the humanness of Jesus, so that there isn't this separation. And he's doing that because he wants to protect the fellowship. And so that's a key part of uh, what John is trying to do, is to keep the fellowship uh, together. He goes on, and then in verse 5, there's this imagery of, of light and dark, this imagery of light and dark that he begins to talk about. In verse 5, he says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There's no darkness uh, at all. Uh, John is speaking about this idea of light. What, uh, What does light do? What does light do? It reveals what's already there, right? If all the lights in this room were off, and you couldn't, it was pitch black in here, and you tried to walk through the room, you'd be running into all kinds of things, wouldn't you? But when the lights come on, it reveals uh, what's already there. Uh, It makes things appear that were undetected or hidden or in the shadows. And so light becomes a significant part of John's message uh, to the church, that in in God, there is no darkness at all. I was out on a run uh, a couple of days ago, and the sun was just full. There was no clouds in the sky. And even when the sun was at its fullest, there were still shadows. Now, you could see, right? You could see, but there were still shadows. But, but in God, there are, there are no shadows, He's perfect light. Light speaks of God's purity, uh, his holiness, a morally pure being through and through. And what does he ask of those who are in the church? He says, going on in verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us 
from all sin. He is creating this contrast between walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. What does it mean to walk in the light? To walk in the light is this consistent pattern of letting the Spirit expose your life and to sift your heart. It's this consistent pattern of letting the Spirit expose uh, your life and to sift your heart. Because a God who is light expects light to permeate every area of our life. Unlike those who had left that church, they were saying, no, no, the, the spiritual part and our lives, they don't connect. And, and John is saying, no, if God is light, then we need to walk in the light to have this consistent uh, life, this living that harmonizes every facet uh, of our life with the light of God. But to walk in darkness, uh, to walk in darkness, it's not just in darkness. Uh, those who had left, they were, they were living this pattern of darkness, this consistent pattern uh, of darkness, and yet claiming to walk closely with God. Isn't that dangerous? You have this pattern of walking in the darkness, but you're claiming that you live in the light. This one scholar who did his PhD work uh, in a lot of the uh, work of uh, John who wrote uh, all of this, uh, he says this, religious darkness is all the more insidious because it clothes, its, it clothes itself in a piety that cannot always be recognized. That's what was going on. There was this group within the body and uh, they were walking in darkness. They had, because it was like, well, what goes on spiritually doesn't, it, it's separate uh, from my life. And so what I want to look at today is what does it look like for us to be a people who walks in the light? How do we as a people walk in the light? And I want to use uh, these remaining verses in chapter one to pull out some ways in which uh, we can walk uh, in the light. So how do we walk in the light? Uh, the first uh, of these would be when we're walking in the light, we're honest about our lives. When we're walking in the light, we're honest about our lives. In verse 6, it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we, what does it say? We lie. We lie. And the truth does not live in us. The problem here isn't that we have sin to deal with, nor that God hasn't already made provision for it. It's that we're not honest about it. There's got to be uh, an honest awareness about our lives, to have a recognition of even our own brokenness, of even our own uh, sinfulness. So if we're walking in the light, we've got to be honest about that. Rather than those who... Uh, had left, they said, well, I can have this fellowship with God, but it's okay where my life is at. But no, if we're going to walk in the light, we've got to be honest uh, about our lives. I'll, uh, I'll never forget this moment. It was uh, early on in my ministry, and I was with a, a bit of a, an accountability group, and uh, it was two other people and we were at a restaurant, and we were just talking, and one of, the, one of the guys in the group just confessed some sin. And 
as he shared that, um, I thought, you know, and he, it was a person who was starting to learn how to lead worship and all that. And I just said, well, how, how does that impact when you get up to, to lead worship? How does the sin you just confessed and are talking about, you know, how does that impact when you get up to lead worship? And I'll never forget the response. It doesn't. It doesn't. And a red flag kind of went off and I thought, wow, that, like that's dangerous. That's dangerous. How, how does when we get up to whatever our spiritual activity is, whether it's a, uh, some quiet time in, in your own home personally, or whether you know, it's somebody up here doing some ministry or in a classroom, our lives have to connect in uh, with all of that. And I thought, wow, that, that's not walking in the light. And uh, we had conversation about that, and uh, I think that became apparent uh, to the person. But uh, when we're, if we're going to walk in the light, we've, we've got to be kind of honest uh, about, uh, about our lives. Having things in our life uh, that need the touch of God isn't so much the problem, is it? It's not the problem, because in a few verses we're going to see there's provision for that. There's provision for that. It's the fact of being honest about it. And so I just wonder for you, are there some areas that maybe God wants you to be honest about in your own life? Because if we're going to walk in the light, those are some real questions for us. Any of those areas where God wants us to just take inventory and be honest uh, in our own lives. When we do that, <clears throat> when we're honest about our own lives and we begin to see what's going on within us, uh, John goes on uh, and it leads us to the next part. When we're walking in the light, we confess our sins, right? When we're honest about our lives and we begin to see things, it leads us to want to do something. It leads us to this place where we don't want that to be hidden within us. We want that to come into the light. And so John says, Let's confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, in verse 9, and will forgive us our sins. If we're going to be a people who walk in the light, we confess our sins, not hide or ignore them. There's a key word here. The word is if. The word is if. I think it's a lot easier to memorize this verse than to practice it, don't you? Uh, many of you probably, if you've read uh, and been around the church, even for a few years, this would be one of those verses that would get memorized very quickly. Oh, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive, forgive me of my sin. And it's true. It's absolutely true. And it is a verse to memorize, by the way. Uh, but it's a verse to practice uh, and to live and I think because we can do the confession part because we know he's going to forgive us, because we know he's made provision. But I do think it's a big word, if. Because a lot of times I think we just, we, we, we don't actually get to the confession part. We just know this verse is true. And so somehow I think we get caught up and think, okay, well, I've done that, but mostly because I've memorized it. I wonder as well, how do you see confession? How do you see confession? Do you see confession as an act or a way of life? Do you see confession as an act 
or a way of life. If you see confession or if we see confession as an act, we tend to only practice it when there is some big sin that's there, some clear line which probably we've created, we've decided where that line is, whether it's a big sin or not. And that's when we practice this verse. That's in our minds, if you think about this verse, we think of it as a time when there's some clear line in the sand and you know I have stepped over that line and I'm out of bounds with God. And that's when we use this verse. So that would be viewing confession as an act. This, these moments where I just, I need to confess this. But I wonder what would happen if we became a people that viewed confession as a way of life. If we viewed confession as a way of life. Walking in the light is something that needs to be maintained. And we maintain it by our constant willingness to be exposed by the light when our heart goes sideways. And so that looks uh, very different. Uh, We begin to, rather than just think about acts of sin, uh, and oftentimes those are the external side of things, but then we start to look uh, inward at the, the things that are going on in our hearts. And if you think about it, the acts of sin are always precipitated by what? Things going on in... Where? In your heart. And so if we begin to live uh, a confessional way of life, then I think we'll begin to get more at the things that are going on in the heart, maybe even before they become acts of sin. What if we started confessing moments where we, we haven't overtly on the outside sinned, but we see our pride operating. What if that became just a normal confession, right? Somebody else gets the job at work that you wanted, and guess what kicks in? Your pride. What if you just said, you know, in my heart, you said it to your spouse, or maybe you have some friends, you say, wow, I, I was better for that job I was, I was more qualified. I was, and you just confess that, right? Because that pride in your heart, how do you think that's going to impact you when you're at work trying to work with that person now, who may now be your boss, <laughs> right? That's going to affect that. And now you're into your overt acts of sin. And so what if we just began to confess the things that were really going on uh, in our hearts? I think a confessional way of life even could go a step further Sometimes confessing things uh, is just speaking the truth. Maybe you haven't crossed a line, but you also haven't told anybody. Because so many of our acts of sin, I think there's underlying things going on. What if you viewed a confessional way of life uh, as uh, being willing maybe to confess when you feel insecure? That's a confession, isn't it? When you feel insecure. That would be a confession. Now, is it a sin kind of confession? It's not the same kind of confession. But those kinds of confessions, when we confess that we feel insecure, how many times does loneliness lead you to a 
bad place. Right? What if you confessed your loneliness to somebody? What if you confessed that you felt unnoticed or overlooked? What if you confessed that you, feel, you felt abandoned? What if you confessed feeling unloved or anxious or scared? That would be, I think, the difference between uh, seeing confession as an act or a way of life. I think it would transform us. I think it would change us. And I think we'd see the, the blood of Christ just enter into that situation and restore and renew and, and do a significant work. And so, what would it mean for you to move confession to not just for acts, but to a way of life for you? What if you picked something, even of that list that I shared, and said, you know, I want to confess something to somebody this week. Do it as a spiritual habit. Confess something that's in your heart that just brings light to that area. Confession does something. Um, When we're walking in the light, we find connection. When we're walking in the light, we find connection. Remember that John is trying to keep this community together, right? And so he's giving us practices that can keep the community together. And John is one of uh, the few writers who connects in uh, kind of uh, how we live and what's going on in our lives to the centrality of communal life, that the quality of our communal life depends even... (laughs) on what's going on if we're walking in the light or not as individuals. And it's uh, interesting. He talks about fellowship in verse 3. We proclaim to you what we've seen, heard, so that you also may have what? Fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. He says that in verse 7 as well. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. When we're walking in the light, we have a connection together, not just a shared knowledge of Christ, but a shared experience. And it goes much deeper. And shared experience, uh, you know when you have shared experience with somebody, whether it's you work in the same field, right? You have some, you know, you're both engineers, you're both lawyers, or, you know, whatever it is that you do, and you're like, oh, there's a shared experience. But there's something deeply profound when we share not only in the knowledge of Christ, but the experience of him. And I think that's true even as it relates to confession. When we confess uh, things going on in our lives and in our hearts to each other, what does that do? I have more often than not found that it draws you rather than repels you. When you're just honest about something going on and you confess that to another person, uh, usually it brings the grace of God into the heart of that matter. And so it actually brings confession. This ha- I experienced this when we were uh, at general counsel. Uh, one of the people I was sitting next to had, hadn't seen in a little while. And uh, during one of the sessions, they kind of gave an opportunity to walk in the light. And he just leaned over and just shared a few things going on in his life. And rather than repel me, say, oh, wow, I, you know, it, it, it drew me in. 
It created community. And guess what? Then that opened up my heart further. And then we had more conversation. And light shined in more powerful ways because of that shared experience. And I think that's what uh, John is wanting for those churches, is to, to live in community, to live in connection. When we're walking in the light, we are purified from the darkness within. Now, this is where confession takes a whole uh, additional jump. It says, but if we walk in the lights, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, what? Purifies. It purifies. You see that word purify again uh, as it relates to confession in verse 9. This word purified, uh, it's more than forgiveness. It suggests the removal of defilement the elimination of some stain so that the consequences of that condition no longer have an ongoing effect. Cleansing has the future in mind so that the repairs brought about by God will have a more permanent result. And so it's not just the confession part and receiving a forgiveness part. There's this cleansing part, this purification part. I remember in college, we went to the water purification plant uh, at Bowling Green to tour the plant. There's, I think, roughly five stages in water purification. The first stage is where everything gets lumped into this big vat. It's the most disgusting thing you have ever seen. <laughs> and there's this big uh, arm that kind of you know, sweeps through, and it just perpetually turns, perpetually turns, liquefying a lot of things gross, uh, and then scraping off all kinds of whatever else is in this sewage vat. And it's starting to clear out uh, all of that. So that's the screening process. And then there's the coagulation tank, and then the sediment tank, filtration tank, and disinfectant tank. But as you move through those stages, the water starts to get uh, more clear. Even before the end of the process, the water is actually clear. But would you want to drink it? (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. I wonder sometimes if we as people kind of get stuck in this form of confess, receive forgiveness, but that is devoid of purification. How many times have you kind of been in this process, you, you confess, you receive forgiveness, but then the action or the, the, the issue just continues to perpetuate in your life, right? There's no break with it. But purification seeks to drive out and to remove from our hearts that which is defiled or that which is broken or that which is dark. And I wonder if there's something wrong even or, or something not quite right with our confession and our receiving of forgiveness because if purification isn't a part of it, then I think something's off uh, in the process. The more light you bring into an area of darkness, the more the darkness will be driven from you. Right? So I wonder if we were willing to take our confessions a step further and offer a few more details, right? 
Because I think as we add a couple of details to our confession, and I don't know about you, but I know this is true for me, the moment I add even one detail, it grips in the reality of what I've done in a way that is radically different than if I just give a general statement of what's wrong or what, what I did. And it's that sharing of a couple more details that allows me to see its impact on the people around me. When I see its impact on the people around me, then I realize the result of it. And it starts driving out the darkness, right? Because just a sin confess, receive forgiveness, doesn't remove it. It might remove the penalty of that sin, but it doesn't drive it out of you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live with it. Right? We want freedom, and that's what the gospel was designed to do, not just to bring forgiveness, but to separate you. But it's, something's got to drive it out. And I think if we would add a bit more to our confession, it would actually move us into the place where there is purification. So this is how I know if I'm doing a decent job at confession. If I'm not nervous, if I'm not sweating a little bit, if I'm not a little bit embarrassed or a little bit ashamed, I'm probably not confessing well. Your heart has to shake within you a little bit because you're about to reveal to somebody a reality that's going on in your heart that's darkness and you're about to bring light into it. It's probably going to make you sweat a little in your seat. And so I know that purification is close at hand if my heart starts pounding fast when I'm about to share whatever I need to share with somebody. The fourth step in AA is to make a searching and fierce moral inventory of your life and share it with somebody. I often wonder why people flock to recovery kinds of groups in that. And it's because there's an environment where they can really share. That's what the church needs to be. That's what we need to be. And if we can't be that, then what do we do? We kind of hide those things. And then they eat our lunch. They steal from us. But John was trying to protect the church. He wanted purification for them. And that's what we long for. Well, the last one uh, of these, what does it look like to walk in the light? When we walk in the light, we are protected from self-deception. We're protected from self-deception. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. That's verse 6. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You might wonder, who the heck would claim to be without sin? But again, remember, the, the, the belief of those who had left uh, the church, they were saying, well, there's this separation and I can't taint my spirit with what I do in my life because those are separate. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive We deceive ourselves. When we're walking in the light, we are protected from self-deception. Now, self-deception is not the same thing as not being aware of something. Sometimes we're not aware of something and we need uh, the light to reveal it. That's not the same thing as self-deception. 
self-deception happens when we uh, start figuring out ways to kind of sidestep what is actually in our lives. When we start working ways to not address it or not talk about it or not tell somebody about it. That's when self-deception starts to happen. Uh, And you know uh, what this is like because we've all done it, haven't we? We have all deceived ourselves at various times where we thought, okay, it doesn't happen that often, right? And so then I just confess it to God. I don't really need to talk to anybody else about it. And so we just begin to build up this really a spiritual practice, but it's sidestepping. And then we begin to be deceived even about the impact of that particular sin in our lives. I think that's the story of that illustration when we were in that accountability group. He said, how does this impact? And he had built a spiritual practice that didn't connect those things anymore. And so we begin to deceive ourselves. It's a scary reality when you realize, wow, I've, I've been kind of deceiving myself. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And I am grateful for walking in the light because even when I start down that road of maybe deceiving myself, if I'm seeking to walk in the light, God begins to reveal, doesn't he? He has kept probably every one of us in this room from living a self-deceived life. Thank God that he has. Walk in the light. It'll keep us. It'll keep you from self-deception. Well, I want to leave you with just a couple of ways that you can maybe apply this and and walk forward in living a confessional life, a life that's walking in the light. Cultivate a friendship where confession could become a natural part of it. Most of the confessions that I deliver and share with others and that others have shared with me happened around the backyard, in my backyard around a campfire. (laughs) Hanging out with some people that I've built relationship with and we end up in conversation where we're willing to reveal things that are going on in our hearts. Cultivate friendships where that can be a normal, regular part of your routine. Is there an area of obvious, and I'm going to say sin, if it's sin or brokenness, just an area that hasn't been addressed that needs God's healing touch because that always leads to sin. Our brokenness, while it may not be inherent sin, it leads to it. And so is there an area where there's obviously an area of brokenness that you haven't addressed or sin that you haven't addressed that just needs to get out in the light? And maybe there's an area that you just haven't talked about in a while. It's one you've revealed. It's not a secret, so to speak. Somebody on this planet knows, but you just haven't addressed it in a while. You just haven't talked about it. And you just need to re-enter into this place where you're living in the light in that area. Well, Pastor Jim's going to come up and uh, let's just pray together that God would allow us as a church family to walk in the light. Lord, the only way that we as a church would stay together to have the kind of community that we want would be if we are a people that's walking in the light. 
I wonder what it would be like if we were that kind of community, if we were the kind of community that lived confession as a way of life. Wouldn't it be awesome if people just randomly said about Hope Church, gosh, I never planned on sharing that part of my life. I just felt so comfortable to do so. That there would be such an atmosphere where we know that forgiveness is so prevalent, so available, that light shines here. And in fact, it invites us to just talk about our lives. So Lord, would you lead us down that path? Make us those kind of people.